Howdy, and welcome to Diseases and Diagnosis, a podcast by the Texas A&M Veterinary Medical and Diagnostic Laboratory that explores the diseases affecting animal and human health and the diagnostic tests that can detect them. I'm Dr. Brandon Dominguez. We're airing this podcast just after the first of the year, and for those with kids or livestock or just interested in the sport of rodeo, it's almost time for the major livestock shows in Texas. Today, we have Dr. Travis Mays, the section head of analytical chemistry, which includes our drug testing lab, with us to discuss TVMDL's role in residue avoidance programs that various shows have in place. Welcome, Dr. Mays. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I always enjoy the opportunity to educate, and uh, especially when it comes to drug testing, I think historically, you know, drug testing has kind of been viewed as this nebulous cloud. People know it exists, but don't really know what happens. So I always enjoy the opportunity to try to educate a little bit more about how the drug testing program works at TVMDO. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the drug testing lab? You bet. Um, so I've been here at TVMDL for a little over 20 years now. Um, I actually started out as a student worker, opening boxes in our specimen receiving department worked my way through the toxicology lab and really developed a strong passion for toxicology and analytical chemistry. And then about 10 years ago, had the opportunity to uh, oversee our drug testing lab um, and really fell in love with that as well. So by, by training, I guess my background is primarily in veterinary toxicology and pharmacology for the drug testing side of things. The drug testing that we do at TVMDL ranges from performance drug testing and obviously livestock show animals like we're going to discuss today, but also, you know, anti-doping testing for the horse racing industry. People may not be aware or oftentimes surprised to learn that there's actually a thing called pigeon racing. Uh, so same thing as horse racing and greyhound racing. There's, there's pigeons that race competitively. So some folks are enticed to try and uh, administer drugs to those animals you know, to cheat as well. So we do some pigeon racing testing. And then we have some just routine uh, veterinary diagnostic tests that we run. Like, for example, we have an equine pre-purchase drug screen. Uh, We test for some illicit substances and and things of that nature. Thank you for that background. When we're talking about the livestock shows and producing animals for food, there's a couple of reasons for testing. One is to ensure a safe food supply. And like you mentioned, to ensure that we have fair competition, correct? That's correct. Um, You know, we want to try to uh, create as much of a level playing field at these competitions as we can. And as as we all know, some people try to gain an advantage over their competition by administering drugs. Um, So that's obviously an important reason for testing. And then, as you said, also, you know, the food safety side of things. Most of these animals that are exhibited at these fairs and competitions are going to wind up in the food supply. So it's important that we test these animals to make sure that, that the product is safe for human consumption. And I, I guess one more thing I'll add, too, is, is animal welfare. You know, there's there's some practices that these uh, people that are intent on cheating to try to gain a competitive edge uh, will will do to some of these animals. And so drug testing can also um, assist from an animal welfare perspective as well. Thank you for bringing up that point. These shows can get highly competitive. Is there a high prevalence of drugs found in the samples that we test? Surprisingly, no. Well, maybe not surprisingly. I guess it depends on who you are and how you look at it. But annually, I would say we have probably less than 2% of the samples that we test uh, actually test positive. We probably, I would say, test about 4,000 livestock show samples every year. So less than 2% of those come back positive. 
Okay, well, that's good news. What samples can be tested, and is there a benefit of one sample over another? Sure. So we do testing in urine. Urine is probably the most common sample that's collected at these competitions. We can also test blood, more specifically serum or plasma. We can detect drug residues in retina tissue uh, that comes from the eyeball. We can also test other tissue types such as liver, kidney, and muscle. We can detect drug residues in hair uh, and feathers and feces. So yeah, there's a whole plethora of samples that we can get from animals to, to detect various drugs. Does one sample yield better results than another, or is it just an ease of collection? Really and truly, the answer to that question is more dependent on the drug that we're talking about or the drugs that maybe the, the client is uh, interested in testing for. In general terms, urine is typically a, is preferred because it offers a longer window of detection. Uh, in other words, drugs can be detected in urine longer than they can in a blood sample. But blood is more meaningful when we're talking about therapeutic drugs that are used in a legal labeled manner, like banamine, for example. So it, it kind of depends on the, the scenario and, again, the, the drugs that we're looking for. But, but I think that's one reason why most shows opt for urine over blood is, is it does allow us the option of being able to detect drugs that might have been administered several weeks ago. Whereas in a blood sample, uh, you don't have near that amount of time to look for those drugs. How does the test work? Well, I guess without being too technical, we use what's called mass spectrometry. Basically what that means is if you think back to when, you know, you took biology or chemistry, maybe in high school, you're familiar with the periodic table of elements. So every drug or chemical is made up of elements that come from that periodic table, and each individual element has a mass. So when you talk about a drug, obviously it's made up of many different elements. Well, when you add that mass together, that's the total mass or what we call the molecular weight. So these instruments that we use, the mass spectrometry instruments, are, um, that's what they're designed to do is to detect the mass or molecular weight of each drug. So when the samples arrive at the laboratory, uh, we basically do what we call extractions. We administer things to these samples, different chemicals and reagents that have an affinity for the different drugs that we're testing for to try to remove those drugs from the sample itself, but also to clean up the sample because these instruments are very sensitive. And so the dirtier the sample, the more havoc they can cause on these instruments. So we do some extractions to try to remove any drugs that might be in the sample, but also some cleanup procedures as well to get the samples ready to go on these machines. We start off with doing an initial screen. So we have a set list of drugs that we're looking for, and we do that first. If a sample appears to have a drug in it, we don't we don't consider the sample to be positive at that point. We actually determine that the sample is what we call suspect. And what that means is we want to do some more testing on that sample uh, that we call confirmation testing. So when a sample is determined to be suspect, we go back and we retest the sample a second time from start to finish. And usually we'll use a different machine. It's still mass spectrometry, but um, it's, it's more of a targeted test for that specific drug. And that's what we consider to be our confirmation test. If we still get a positive result or still see the presence of that drug in the sample after the confirmation test, then we determine that the sample is positive. How sensitive is this test? Like what levels of drug could you find in a sample? To be quite honest, ridiculously low levels of drugs can be detected. We can detect drugs in what we call the parts per trillion range. 
which is in the picogram range, if you're familiar with that unit of measure. I've heard people say that basically these instruments have the ability to detect if you were to take a single drop of food coloring and place it in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's how sensitive these instruments are. They have the ability to detect that minute amount of a drug in a sample. That's pretty sensitive. The question that comes up in various forms and statements, maybe concerns, is what drugs can be found on these tests? Yeah, you know, that's probably the question that I get asked the most. Uh, Everybody wants to know, you know, what do we test for? And for obvious reasons, we don't publicize the list of drugs that we test for because we don't want people to know, you know, what they can and, and can't get away with using if they are trying to cheat. But all of the drugs that we test for are substances that have the ability to enhance the performance of the animal. I mentioned therapeutic drugs earlier, like banamine, for example. So we do test for different therapeutic drugs that have the ability to uh, reduce pain in the animal. So in other words, if if you've got an animal that's got a limp or is lame and you want to try to mask that lameness when they're in the show ring, you might give them some banamine. So we test for drugs like that. We test for drugs that are stimulants. So they so sometimes you have animals that, you know, they're not very perky and, and need a little pep in their step, if you will. So you might give them something that's got caffeine in it, for example. So we test for different stimulants. We test for sedatives and tranquilizers. We test for muscle building agents like anabolic steroids. Uh, we also test for other anabolic agents uh, that are called beta agonist drugs like clenbuterol and ractopamine. So there's quite a few number of drugs that we test for, and we cover a pretty wide range of, of different drug classes that are considered to be performance-enhancing substances. Okay, but sometimes an animal will get sick, and for welfare reasons, we want to treat them, we want to make them better, but it's getting close to showtime, and there's concern of they might have to get a drug test. Can the test tell the difference between drugs that are given for treatment versus those that are given for other reasons? Yeah, that's a great question. Not really. You know, we can, when we do the drug testing, we can determine concentrations of these drugs. And so we can look at the concentrations and try to form an opinion as scientifically as possible as to whether that concentration would imply a scenario where maybe a veterinarian had to treat that animal, let's say, you know, two days before the show, for example. Um, But in general, you really can't tell the difference between uh, someone that might have given a drug to an animal you know, for a legitimate medical reason or someone that was trying to intentionally gain an advantage over the competition. You know, and that's one thing that has been an issue in the past is sometimes these animals, as you just said, you know, need need to be treated leading up to or right before the show. So my advice is if you're in that situation, first and foremost, make sure that you get your veterinarian involved. Secondly is make sure you have records because more and more shows today with the testing capabilities that we have are starting to look at the history of uh, drugs that were given to that specific animal if the animal does test positive. So if you have a legitimate reason that that animal needed to receive a medication and you've got documentation to support that, in many cases, um, the fair board or the livestock show uh, council, if you will, takes that into consideration uh, when there is a positive finding. What happens at the lab when you do get that positive result and a drug is found in the sample? Sure. Um, So basically, our um, position is that we report the results, and that's really the end of our involvement. Uh, We leave it up to each individual show or fair board to determine, based on their rules and policies, 
you know, what to do with, with any positive finding that we may re- report. You know, I mentioned concentrations and uh, we do we do get involved sometimes in part of that decision making process after the results are reported. If the show has questions about the level and again, you know, trying to kind of connect the dots in a situation where maybe that animal there was a record that the animal was treated by a veterinarian for a legitimate purpose. Um, so we do report the results, obviously, and sometimes we get involved in discussions and trying to help the show uh, form the best decision possible, um, you know, after a positive finding is reported. Okay. And like you said, we'd like to help get the best results, the best best answers for everybody in, involved. What are some of the best practices for submitting samples for drug testing and getting the best test results back? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, it starts with what we call chain of custody, specifically talking about livestock show animals. So at the show, it's important that, you know, we know who handled the sample. It's important that the samples are handled, you know, with the highest level of what we call personal protective equipment, basically gloves. We want to try to minimize the chances of inadvertent contamination where that sample could become contaminated during the collection process or during the packaging process, those kinds of things. So again, it starts with chain of custody. When when the samples arrive at the lab, we want to make sure that we can verify that the samples were not tampered with. Um, and so most of our clients will will use what we call security tape or evidence tape to seal the sample container so that we have a visual way to observe and inspect that sample when it arrives at the lab. And those are really, I would say, as far as submitting samples for testing, you know, the most important things. Just doing everything that you can during the collection process to minimize the chances of inadvertent contamination and then making sure that we have chain of custody in place. Okay, great. And for those that are listening that might be competing or advising those that are competing, what are some good practices to avoid having an issue on a drug test? Yeah, um, again, I think most importantly is when you're faced with a situation where you've got an animal that that might need a medication, first and foremost, the first thing I recommend you do is contact your veterinarian and seek your veterinarian's, you know, guidance on how to proceed with that. Many of these drugs that are approved have a withdrawal time, a meat withdrawal time. So those are factors that the veterinarian will take into consideration, you know, based on how many days before the show and what medication they might consider or might not use based on that. Just be aware of your environment and your surroundings. You know, I mentioned caffeine. That's just an example. But we have had cases in the past where animals do become inadvertently exposed to a drug and test positive from the environment. And so I think that's one important thing is just know what's around your animal at the show. Um, Also in in the show barn, uh, when you're handling the animal leading up to the show, you know, don't take a cup of coffee in the pen with your animal or a Dr. Pepper. Don't give your animal a chocolate candy bar as a snack. Just common sense things like that, um, I think, are, are really the best advice for someone who's preparing to exhibit their animal. Thank you for all that advice. Now, there is that desire to make livestock competitions fair for all involved, and it's important to practice good practices in feeding and developing these animals that will eventually go into the food supply. I'm amazed at the testing technologies that we have. It makes me appreciate all those chemistry classes a whole lot more now. (laughs) And Dr. Mays, thank you for your time and sharing your expertise. Is there any more that you would like to add? 
yeah, I just want to say I appreciate the opportunity to do this podcast. This is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, and I guess the, the, the last thing I would like to add is just I would like to recognize there's a lot of people here at Texas A&M, not only here at TVMDL, but also the Animal Science Department, Texas A&M AgriLife. There's a collection collaboration of, of folks who are trying to um, make this program the best that it can be. And along the way, we, we recognize that there's some challenges and, and obstacles that come up. But as a team, I think over the last, I would say, five to eight years or so, we've really done some incredible research to better understand what some of these drugs that we find in these animals mean. And so I'm, I'm excited about the future and, and future research opportunities as well. I, I think it's a great program uh, that we continually to improve on. You're right. We can't do any of this without our collaborators and clients and those that entrust us to do the testing and have the vision to, to make everything in this world a little bit better. That concludes this episode of Diseases and Diagnosis. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, share our podcast with a friend or a colleague, or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions about TVMDL, visit our website or give one of our four labs a call. Thanks for listening.